Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Juicebox Podcast. Today, we're going to be listening to episode 888. I was so excited to make this episode. Uh, I've got a doctor on. He's got type 1 diabetes. That's how I found him. But uh, that's not why he's here. Today, we're going to be talking about anemia and low ferritin. Now, before you say, oh, I don't have anemia, I don't have to listen, please trust me. Just check this episode out. Anemia, low ferritin, and its impacts are very, very, very much underdiagnosed. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Couple quick things. If you have type 1 diabetes and you're a U.S. resident or you're the caregiver of someone with type 1, please complete the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. It will help diabetes research. It'll help you and it'll help me. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. If you'd like to get 35% off your entire order at cozyearth.com, just use the offer code juicebox at checkout. And to save 10% on your first month of therapy, go to betterhelp.com forward slash juicebox. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Touched by Type 1 wants to elevate awareness of type 1 diabetes by raising funds to find a cure and inspire those with diabetes to thrive. Touchedbytype1.org. And I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about the podcast just for a second before we start. So sort of an ad for the podcast. A lot of the management stuff is broken up into series. Defining diabetes, defining thyroid, the diabetes pro tip series, the bold beginning series. There's an entire collection of algorithm pumping episodes. Ask Scott and Jenny just episode upon episode of listener questions answered by myself and Jenny Smith. There's the Diabetes Variables series, the Mental Wellness Collection, How We Eat, and very new to the podcast, a Type 2 series for people who are struggling to understand what their Type 2 diabetes means or how they can get started with helping themselves. And of course, the After Dark series, which is a long list of interviews with people living with diabetes and their stories that, let's just say, don't usually see the light of day. You can search for these series within your podcast app, like you could say Defining Diabetes Juice Box, and it would come right up. Or you can go to juiceboxpodcast.com, and there's uh, links at the top of the page in the menu section that will allow you to see every episode that's in every series and collection, and then you can just go to that episode as you please. And if you're in the private Facebook group, and please, I hope you are, in the Featured tab, there's a tab at the top that's called Featured. There's lists of all of these series and collections there for you as well. Dr. Pelkovitz is an adult hematologist. For questions regarding children with iron deficiency or anemia, the following information may not be applicable. I'm Ari Pelkovitz, recently diagnosed type 1 diabetic and also a hematologist-oncologist in Rhode Island. And happy to be here today. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. This is one of these odd situations. You ever hear somebody say, uh, I have X disorder and I can't wait for someone famous to get it so that they pay attention? To it? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is sometimes the best thing that can happen to any disease is someone famous getting it. <laughs> so for my situation and what I'm trying to accomplish... A hematologist getting type 1 is perfect. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm sorry for your trouble, but I'm looking forward to picking your brain. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, well, tell me first, how, how old were you when you were diagnosed? So I just got diagnosed about five months ago, and I'm, uh, I'm 36 now, so I was 35. Okay. Is there a history of autoimmune in your family? You know, really little. Um, my mom has Hashimoto's, which I feel like, you know, a lot of people do. But outside of that, I was sure I was going to get cancer. I mean, that's kind of why I went into being doing hematology oncology. And so it was it was a nice surprise when I got this diagnosis. Wait, wait, wait. You thought you were going to get cancer, so you became a hematologist? Tell me about that. Exactly, yeah. Well, um, you know, my mom had, had breast cancer, uh, which she's doing great from. 
And my brother, when I was a kid, had lymphoma. Uh, also, he's doing great. So just a lot of life experiences that I think led me down the path towards uh, oncology. Um, and then always in the back, I mean, I don't know if it's true of every doctor, but I think a lot of doctors are hypochondriacs and assume they're going to get almost every disease. Um, but most likely also assume the ones they treat they're going to get because they see it all the time. Well, I can tell you this, that a lot of people who need therapy become therapists. I don't know why that yeah, is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Although my endocrinologist told me the other day that maybe I should take my endocrinology boards now just for fun. <laughs> well, you're a, you're, you're a well-educated man. You, you certainly went to a good medical school and, and tell people where you went and what you're doing now. I went to medical school at the University of Maryland, where I grew up. And then I came up to Rhode Island and did my residency and fellowship at Brown University. And now I've stayed on and I treat patients with both cancerous and non-cancerous blood conditions. And that explains why your internet stinks. Okay. We and that it. explains why internet stinks. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I will not go down the rabbit hole of Rhode Island. I'll skip right over that. That's fine. <laughs> and, uh, and just say, how long have you been practicing then? Well, so I actually am just out of out of training. So, you know, medical training, just to be fun, takes uh, forever. Mm -hmm. um, so my training was seven years, and now I'm about six months, or no, longer, nine months out of training. So I'm almost finishing my first year in training. Wow, that's insane. Well, I, yeah. I appreciate all the effort you put into to oh, getting to you. this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's real, <laughs> that's really, really something, honestly. Um, may you live long enough to pay off your debt. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Make it worth it. Yeah, no kidding. So tell me a little bit about how you manage your type 1. Yeah, so um, I currently am on a pump. I'm on the Tandem T-Slim, and I have a Dexcom, uh, which I was able to get pretty quickly, I think. Uh, I was on MDI just for a couple months after diagnosis and then got on a pump maybe about two months ago or so. Um, and it's been pretty awesome with the pump since then. Are you using Control IQ? Yeah. How do you find it? You know, I find it overall good. I, I eat, I wouldn't call myself like a low carb person, but I definitely changed my diet since diagnosis and I'm much more of a low carb on the end of the low carb things. So I think, you know, I stay pretty steady from that perspective and I don't think control IQ has to do a ton of work. Mm -hmm. It is interesting where I did notice like I think with Lantus, you know, I kind of knew what was on board always. And with the control IQ, the way it's kind of adjusting things, it can have some impacts where, you know, some days I have more insulin on board than others just because for whatever I've been doing, it's decided I needed more. Yeah. You, you're using Lantus out of the box? Yeah. I started on uh, uh, Lantus and, you know, uh, fast acting with, with meals. Okay. Hey, are you, did you put on a headset with a microphone? I did. Yeah. Can you just move it a little farther away from your mouth? I'm, you're popping a little bit. Yeah, is that better? Yeah, well, we'll find out. Um, okay. <laughs> so, okay. All right, well, I don't want to skip over your diabetes, but I have a lot to ask you. So Yeah, yeah, that's fine. We can come back to my diabetes <laughs> yeah. if we have time. <laughs> okay. Um, where does this begin? Where does my um, obsession with understanding people's iron and ferritin levels begin? I guess if I look back over my life, I was a person who was tired all the time. Mm -hmm. I, di I didn't know it. Um, if I came to your house to watch a movie, you know, back when people rented videotapes, I don't know if you remember that. Um, of course. Yeah, uh, I would be asleep halfway through the film. Um, it was a joke. We'd go to a theater, Scott be asleep. Come to the house, Scott's going to fall asleep. I have fallen asleep driving a car. Oh, gosh. Okay. I mean, in in moments when you probably shouldn't. And yeah. it, just yeah. it just became a thing, sort of just like, and and it was always put on me, by the way. There, it, it was it always was. I was always treated sort of like, oh, like he can't even stay awake. Like it was nobody ever thought anything medical. They were just always, right. you know. Anyway, eighties, uh, nineties. I don't know if people realize how much more um, the world's come along because of the internet and things like that. But back then, somebody made a snap decision about you, and that was it for the rest of your life. Right? You were sleepy. Um, so I'd go through bouts of it where it was terrible. And then it would get a little better, we'd go back, I'd get used to it. I was good at pushing through it. Um, I guess one day I just said to my wife, I feel like I'm going to die. Oh, and, and I didn't know another way to put it. I was like, I'm like, if I, if this isn't what dying feels like, then I, I you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I went to a battery of different doctors. 
and my ferritin level comes back very low. I think like 13 maybe. And of course, like I didn't realize it at the time, but everybody in the room looked at me like, oh, poor guy's got cancer. Like that, that's now I, I look back. I know that was the, the look I was. Getting, yeah. Right? Yeah. And how uh, old were you then? Oh God. Uh, in my forties, my mid forties, okay. you know, and, um, then the battery of tests, uh, we're going to put it, we're going to put a camera up your ass. We're going to put a yeah. camera down your throat here, swallow this giant pill. It's got a camera in it. Like, you Perfect. know, like all that stuff, um, come back. And the answer is, huh, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> I was like, okay. So, um, any reason you can think that you, uh, would have blood loss. And I said, I've had one pesky hemorrhoid my whole life, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know that it's bleeding that much, you, you, you know, like, and meanwhile, I don't know, like Ari, I don't know like how much blood loss is blood loss. And, right. You no, know. no, 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 no. Yeah. You, you, what looks, what looks terrifying to you sometimes in a toilet bowl is actually kind of mild compared to what'll really drive your numbers down. What a nice thing to say. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so th anyway, then some tests come back. I have something called Barrett's. Oh. Okay. And maybe you're not absorbing iron correctly, Scott. You know, I don't have celiac. I don't have like, you know, like that, all that. So I'm like, okay, so what's this Barrett's? And then I, you might be able to explain it better than it was explained to me, but it's been, I kind of assume it's like a precursor to a, a can, a soft to cancer. But it yeah. doesn't necessarily. Esophageal was the word I think you were, yes. you were holding back on. <laughs> Thank you, because yeah, I wasn't certain. So <laughs> yeah, a precursor yeah. to esophageal cancer, but doesn't have to be that. And and take this thing and keep you know keep your stomach acid down. Well, at that moment, I was like, well, I'm just going to change the way I eat if if that's it. Because I did mm -hmm. I did have heartburn like throughout maybe not throughout my life, but it was getting worse. So I cut out like oils. It's a strange thing, but I cut all oils out. I stopped eating later at night, like little things like that. And I was actually able to deal with it on my own. Um, and Without any sort of medicine for the heartburn. Yeah, I used the medication in the beginning, but then I got away from it. And um, I still keep like a, uh, I don't know, like a, an antacid, like a chewable by my bed in, ca right, in right. case something happens because I've learned not to ignore it. But I mean, I maybe use those. I don't know, once every six weeks, something like that. So, and that's, and just, you're still getting iron infusions now, or you sort of got it and you're done. Oh no, I get the iron infusion. I feel like a million bucks, six, eight months later, I start tailing off again and then I got to get them again. Yeah. And I've had iron infusions. I've lost track now, honestly, over the last couple of years, I've probably had 10 of them maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I take, my my biggest my biggest leap was that the doctor kept saying, "Well, maybe it'll hold on." And then one time after an infusion, he retested my iron, and my fartin was so high that he was like, "Oh, good, you don't need to take a supplement anymore." And then I was like, mm -hmm. "Oh, I'm good." And then I didn't take the supplement, and then of course, eventually, it dropped back right. off again. I mean, your story that your story is so classic for the type of patient I see with iron deficiency. Um, it just the number of people I see who go down that same path of you know, where's the blood going? Where's the iron going? We can't find it, but clearly something's going on here and they need iron to feel better. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to kind of run through, you know, why we think that process and, you know, what our sort of, when someone comes in with low iron, what we're thinking about and why they thought you had cancer, if that would be helpful. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, well, the main thing is that we need iron to make, make our blood and that's why we care about it. Um, and so oftentimes, if you don't have enough iron, you also then won't be able to make, make enough red blood cells. And that's when we use the word anemia. So become anemic. And I think for a long time, people thought that it was only if you became anemic that you would start feeling crummy. Uh, but clearly, there's tons of people like yourself who just having low iron makes them feel awful, mm. tired, fatigued, no energy. Um, and the way we can sort of not have enough iron in our body is, is usually one of two mechanisms, which is either we're losing it in the blood because the iron that's in our body is mostly in blood. So whenever we bleed, the iron in there gets lost and then our body uses up whatever sort of uh, iron stores we have um, or we're not absorbing enough iron. And so, and someone who's over the age of, you know, we used to say 50, but now with this happening younger, probably even over the age of 40, 
if you come in and especially if you're a man and don't have any other reason to be losing blood, we certainly worry could this be a, a, a cancer in the GI tract, a colon cancer, a cancer higher up uh, that's causing you to lose blood. And that's why you have low iron. Mm-hmm. Well, to say that I don't feel well, by the time I was able to talk a hematologist into giving me an infusion. Uh-huh. And it was really like I had to bang on people's heads because the last thing they made me do was eat. um, Even though I didn't have any signs from testing of celiac, they made me eat a gluten-free diet for a month. Oh, interesting. And so I'm eating a gluten-free diet. And one day I'm in my kitchen and I just bend over to pick something off the floor. And... I almost went headfirst into the floor like I was diving into the floor on purpose. I just couldn't hold myself up anymore. I was at the point that no matter how long I slept and when I got up, by 1 p.m., I couldn't function anymore. Yeah. And, and I took myself to the emergency room. And were you, were you, did they make you go on iron pills first? Oh, I had to do everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything that everyone knew wasn't going to work, I had to do first. And did you get the bad constipation from the iron pills? No, because I used a really good formulation to do it. I used used a Thorn Labs iron. I mixed it with a... their vitamin C brand, and I I didn't have any trouble with it. I've also learned Vitron C works really well. Okay. Uh, But point being, I, I wasn't just didn't feel well. Like, I was shutting off. And, and so I went to, I went to the emergency room. I, because the doctor still wouldn't give it to me. I hadn't completed all the things I had Mm -hmm. to do. I told my wife, I'm like, I'm not going to make it to the end of what he needs to do. And, um, I, I explained everything to the ER and some lovely doctor in the ER gave me a small iron infusion, not nearly enough. Right. And it was enough to like, let me hold on until, um, until the doctor was fine. Then they put in that first infusion, waited a week, gave me a second one. And I'm going to say that in a month, maybe six weeks, I, it changed my life. Like I, and I was just a mat. And is that because you have to remake red blood cells with the new iron in your system? Is that why? It yeah. So it, de- it depends. So if you, if you're also anemic, so we sometimes use these words interchangeably and it can get kind of confusing. And, you know, I think especially if people go and donate blood a lot, they'll sort of say things like, oh, your, your iron's good today when they're actually not testing your iron. So, you know, you have your, your hemoglobin and your red blood cells. And when those are low, really the word is anemic or anemia. And then you have your iron and you can have low iron and ferritin is, is a, what we use to measure sort of how much iron you've got kind of stored up in your body that's available for use. Mm-hmm. If you have. Oh, Ari. Just a quick reminder to go to touchedbytype1.org and to find them on Instagram and Facebook. At touchedbytype1.org, you go to programs and then you can scroll down to see everything that's going on. The annual conference, an awareness campaign, a dance program, dancing for diabetes. They have a D-Box program, a golfing event, and other stuff, videos and pictures of what they're doing, links to get started. And by the way, that annual conference, let me click on it and see if there's a date listed yet, because I'm going to be speaking at it. Oh, it still says, stay tuned for 2023 announcement date, but we're getting close. And I think I know the date, so uh go check it out it's a great event in orlando and by the way to say it's a great event is an understatement beautiful facility wonderful staff great speakers and i mean i'm gonna be there so touched by type1.org hey if you're feeling overwhelmed and you'd like to have some talk therapy you can get 10 percent off your first month of therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash juice box. Just signing up at that link saves you 10% off your first month. Again, you can save 35% off your entire order at cozyearth.com by using the offer code juicebox at checkout and uh, athletic greens, athleticgreens.com forward slash juice box. I think you get free, yeah, vitamin D for a year and five free travel packs with your first order at my link, athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox and don't forget juiceboxpodcast.com to find the series and the collections and please subscribe and follow 
in an audio app like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio. I hate to say that you disappeared. First thing that has to happen Uh-oh. is you've got to make new Ari, red blood cells. Sorry, I'm sorry yeah. you disappeared again, but we're on a good roll. I did? So, yeah, yeah, so let's okay. just keep going. Uh, ferritin from there. Yeah, so ferritin is a measure of how much iron you have left in your body, sort of left over for you to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you also have anemia, if you don't have enough red blood cells, when you get an iron infusion, your body first sort of takes that iron to make new red blood cells. And so if part of the reason you're feeling so crummy and fatigued is because of the low red blood cells, then yeah, it's going to take a little time for those to get made. But then you're also going to need to sort of replenish those iron stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just redistribution of what's been put in your body and, and everyone's going to be different. And I, you know, I think you're, you're like the ideal patient, your response. Um, and, you know, when I see people for this reason, I often try to caution them and say, look, you know, lots of different things can cause people to feel terrible. Clearly, the only thing we've found right now that's doing it is low iron. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to give you this IV iron. And my hope is that you have the Scott response and, you know, four to six weeks from now, you feel like a different person. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work that way for everyone. You know, some people will get, okay, I feel a little better, but something else is happening. Um, some people, especially when it's just low iron and they're not anemic, I give them the iron and they really don't feel any different. Hmm. But, and not to, not to question sort of the care you were getting, you know, IV iron is a pretty safe medicine. They probably talked to you about this. The sort of the main side effect we worry about is, is very few number of people can have um, an allergic reaction to it. Yeah. Um, outside of that, you know, cost and things like that, you certainly want to think about. But I, I'm pretty liberal in who I'll at least give a shot with it to, you know. And if you're someone where I give you the I, IV iron and you have no response, you know, you don't feel any better and there's nothing dangerous about your numbers. Well, then sometimes I'll say, OK, we gave it a try. And clearly this is something else. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I uh, and to your point about perhaps having a reaction. I think the first two times they gave it to me, they gave me IV Benadryl too. Mm-hmm. And um, then after you don't have a reaction a couple times, I'm like, I'm gonna uh, say no to the Benadryl. Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. This is ruining an entire day of my life. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I don't use the Benadryl anymore. As a matter of fact, I go in there. I'll tell you one of the most difficult things about getting an iron infusion for me is that I walk into an infusion center where everyone has cancer. Yes. And yes, I, I roll in 20 years younger than them, probably looking like a million bucks. And I'm like, what's up, everybody? I'm here for my eye. But so I keep it yeah. very, I keep my head down. I walk in very solemnly. I It seems like a very, it, it's almost seems like a religious setting. I don't know another way to say it, you know. Hmm. And um, and I walk in, I keep my head down, I get my iron, and I and I keep my mouth shut, and I leave. Just try to being respectful to everybody. Um, but the um the response I have is insane. Like like it just happened again, where um it was four weeks ago, and I said to Kelly, I'm like, oh my god, my iron's low, and we were getting ready to go on a trip where I was gonna have to drive. I mean, you know, the East coast, I was going to drive from Jersey to Atlanta and, and then in like, and then back again, like 10 days later. And That's so, no and so I got, went through the whole process. I knew my insurance company was going to say, okay, because you know, we've gone through it before. And I just got on the phone with them. I'm like, I, I need this before I leave. I'm like, or my iron won't kill me. I'm gonna have a car accident, you know? So I'm like, I have to go on this trip. So they were able to sneak one in before I left. And about three days into my trip, I said to Kelly, I'm like, I'm starting to feel a little better. Like, mm-hmm. and then it, it progressively got better. I got back. I took another infusion. Now it's been maybe two weeks since the second infusion. And then so many things, like little things in my body get better. My muscle tone picks up. Um, my GI tract works better. Um, you know, energy, all that's right back again. My mental clarity is back. Like there are episodes of this podcast where you guys won't know it, but I'll think around words. Like I'll be making the podcast and I don't know how other people's brains work when they're, I can, I can feel what I'm going to say before I'm saying it. And I can look ahead in my sentence and go, I can't find that word. And then I'll talk around needing the word. And that happens when my iron's lower too. Mm -hmm. So not not to talk too much about diabetes, but what I will say is that since getting diagnosed, I think one of the lessons as a as a doctor I've tried to take from my experience is 
listening to the patient. Um, and, and this has been true both from my own experience, but also kind of listening to the podcast and on the Facebook group. And just, you know, we have our textbooks and we have what we're taught. And certainly you don't want to just run away from those and start practicing, you know, crazy medicine just for the fun of it. But it's clear that that's not going to capture every patient experience. And the people, you know, and this has been said over and over again, but the, the, the people who are the best experts in any condition are the people who have it. And so kind of what you're describing with this, you know, that your response to IV iron is, I mean, could I find every every symptom you just said in a textbook? No, but but why would I deny what you're experiencing? I'm assuming you're just going to come back in a second. Iron, and could you give me an iron infusion? Well, I'm not going to go kind of try to do that because that wouldn't make any sense. Um, but but listening to people and sort of saying, look, you're having this experience. I have a medicine that can make you better that I think within the risks and benefits of what's safe and appropriate and within sort of what we consider appropriate medical practice, you know, listening to the patient is really important. Is it, Ari, is it that, um, is it that, low iron can't cause some of the things or is it that just historically and traditionally you don't attach like muscle tone to that as an example? Yeah. I mean, I think it would probably be that, well, here's what I would say, taking a step back. I think the reason anemia, the reason when your red blood cells, your hemoglobin gets low, you feel tired kind of makes sense from a scientific perspective. So your red blood cells carry the oxygen all around your body. Mm -hmm. So when that gets low, um, you know, on some level, you kind of, you know, make sense that you're probably not delivering enough oxygen to all the tissues. And so you're going to feel tired, weak, etc. The reason that when your iron is low, you also feel that way is not quite as clear. Because you would think that if your red blood cells are high enough, then okay, so you don't have enough iron in your bank, but I'm still getting all the oxygen I need everywhere it needs to go. Mm. But again, it's so clear, and this is not controversial, that there are, are people who have these symptoms when their iron is low Yeah, without and, anemia. And I'll tell you that I've now met so many people because of the podcast and um, that, and, I, and I'm thinking too, because all, is this, I mean, can you step back and imagine that this isn't crazy that my daughter has type one diabetes, my son has Hashimoto's and I have trouble with iron? Is that, is that somehow connected? Because why am I meeting so many people who either have type 1 or kids have type 1 who are also talking about these same symptoms and have these same um, test lab results around their iron and their ferritin? Yeah, I mean, I think the main way you would want to tie it all together would be celiac because that would be the sort of other autoimmune condition that you know would run in the family and would uh, cause low iron. Mm -hmm. So outside of celiac or Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, these other autoimmune conditions that you know impact your gut absorption, um, I can't say there's a clear way I can connect it. Probably it's more coincidence and just that iron deficiency is really common. Okay. Um, but I mean, you know, maybe there's something there that we need to investigate. Why, why do you think iron deficiency is very common? Well, so in, in young women, almost any you know woman who's having her period will have some amount of iron deficiency. Um, so you know, you test anyone you know between the ages of you know when they have their first period until their last, they're going to be probably you know a good chunk of those people are going to be iron deficient. Um, and then we have a you know again, I think it's more that is symptomatic iron deficiency as common as just iron deficiency. So sometimes when things in medicine, we go looking for them and we find them and it's, but does that necessarily mean there's a problem there? And some of that is sort of the test with treatment. So do we give a treatment and do people feel better? Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of people who, who aren't like you, who, like I said, will, will only have a little bit of low iron. Their you know, hemoglobin will be normal and I give them some IV iron and they really don't feel any better. And so those are the people where I say, look, we found this by accident on blood work. I don't want to sort of give you extra medical bills, extra visits, just to sort of solve a number if it's not really making you feel any better. Yeah. Well, I know it makes me feel better. There was a day where I, I needed an infusion and they're like, we can't, we don't have a chair. And I said, I'll drink it. And she said, she, and she <laughs> laughed. I said, I'll do it in the parking lot. And she <laughs> laughed again. I said, if you think it'll help, you can stick it up my ass. I was like, <laughs> I was like because I need this infusion very badly. And, uh, and they laughed and found a way. And I'll tell you this too, a uh, number of years ago, probably four years ago now, my son had a lot of these symptoms. 
and um, he was a college athlete. He was like killing himself, you know, and we got him some blood work and his ferritin came back very, very low. And we got him an infusion and it changed things for him. But now he just takes a supplement and it's he seems to be fine. Um, and, they, and they never found the cause in his case. Well, no, but about two years later, he was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Hmm, okay. Okay. So, so that definitely could have been playing a role. Yeah. So um, now he just takes a supplement, you know, um, and I'm actually, I don't know the name of it, but I just started seeing an endocrinologist. So I went into the doctor and I was like, look, I, and I'm telling you this to see if you see a connection too. Um, my body has always carried extra weight. I, um, I, I say all the time on here and anybody who will listen, I am the fattest guy who doesn't eat that you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> and so um, I do not consume food commiserate to my body. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to this endo and I'm like, all right, look, the kids are gone. Like, God bless them. Hopefully they'll live. But it's time for me to try to stay alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, battery of tests. And she comes back and says, people would kill for your blood work. Mm. And I was like, I, I wanted to be happy. And I was like, all right, great. But no answer there. You know, like, why does my iron keep falling? So she wants to put me on something a little stronger as far as iron goes than what I'm taking now. Um, and uh, and I said, well, what about the weight? And and to give you some context, Ari, like I stood in front. I've known this woman a long time. She's been on the podcast, actually. Um, and I'm going to bring up something that she told me in a second to see what you think about it. Uh, but. I, so I know her, you know what I mean? Like we're not, we're not friendly, but we know each other very well. And I stood up in her office and I said, how much do you think I weigh? I was like, be honest. Just, I mean, you look at people all the time. What do I weigh? And she goes, I think about 175 pounds. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm 233. Hmm. I'm like, I'm like, what's like, so that's part of the problem too, is I carry it well enough that like, I don't personally look at myself and go, I have to lose weight. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's that kind of feeling. So she's like, do you really? And I was like, yes, yeah. so she examined me. And she goes, I'm going to put you on Wagovi. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, like, right on. So yesterday was my second injection. I'm still not on a therapeutic level of it yet. I'm taking, I don't know, whatever this is, like 0.25 milligrams. I'm down seven pounds. Wow. And so... um I got to the point where I, I'm like, I'm 51. I don't even care why anymore. I just, I don't want to have a heart attack. You know, mm-hmm. like, like that, that's that. Like, you know, so I'm, I'm getting out of this any way I can. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, so, so yeah. So obesity um, and weight. Oh man, you know, you could do, um, and you maybe already have, and I haven't seen it, but you could, you could do, you know, podcast upon podcast about that. Um, and it's certainly not my area of expertise, but, you know, what I would share uh, is sort of a few things. I think, um, like many things in life, you know, I think there's probably extremes and then there's the truth somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there clearly is, you know, we call it sort of, you know, an obesity epidemic or whatever term you want to use it. There, there's been a rise over the last several decades in, um, you know, people's weight and uh, obesity. There's also clearly, you know, some link between weight and bad outcomes in healthcare. So as your weight increases, your risk of certain things like heart attacks and some cancers goes up. But, you know, at what point that happens exactly? So, you know, at what point do you cross a threshold where, you know, if I weigh this amount, now I'm at risk for a heart attack is is a bit unclear. Um, And, you know, there's probably some amount of being slightly overweight that's not quite as bad for you as maybe we've been sort of led to believe in our general culture of thinness. Sure. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, living a healthy lifestyle isn't important, but I think it's like, how do we focus on the numbers? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is there's certainly some data about where your weight is, is important. So probably carrying your weight in different places in your body can lead to different outcomes. And that's not a choice you can make. That's just the way your body is. Right. Yeah. And I'm carrying it in the wrong places because it, my arms, my legs, my ass, I look like I weigh 175 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so not great. And, um, and so I'm, you know, that's, but do you see any, is there any relationship to carrying extra weight and anemia or low iron or low ferritin? No, not particularly. I wouldn't think, I mean, again, you know, maybe you could, you could sort of try to connect things where, you know, the low ferritin, the anemia is making you, 
you know, more tired and weak. And so you're living a less active lifestyle. But um, again, the sort of science of weight loss and weight gain is, I think, so complex. And, you know, I think what these medicines like Wagovi have taught us is every everything before this, where we've tried to get people to lose weight by restricting what they eat and, you know, putting them on intensive exercise regimens never works. Mm -hmm. You know, the majority of people can't keep that weight off or a lot of people doesn't even work. And that's, so there's something about these medicines that are working in an entirely different way. Right. Um, well, but uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't say that just being overweight is going to lead to low iron. No, no. But could low iron lead to weight retention? I think in the only way I would imagine is, is sort of through a sort of decreased exercise type okay, of situation right. where you're just a less, you're being less active because you have less energy. Well, I'm sharing it and bringing it up because um, I don't know. I just, if it helps somebody just to put, you know, connect some dots for themselves, then that's it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the the amount of people who, after I, I talk on the podcast about having my iron be low, the amount of people that reached out is stunning. Like, like really, really stunning. It's almost like thyroid and, you know, oh, you're in range, so we won't give you the hormone. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, once they heard me say, I, you know, we manage Arden's uh, thyroid to under two. Like, that's the goal. Like, her TSH needs to be under two. That's how we're managing. They're like, oh, but mine's four, and I have all the symptoms, and my doctor won't, blah, blah, blah. And, like, that just happens over and over and over again. Yeah. There, there's got to be some sort of a metabolic balance to your body. And that if it's too far out of whack, I just I think things just can't work. And, you know, I, that, I have no medical experience, but I can tell you that I have a number of little things wrong with me, and once I, once I put them in a better situation, things improve that there's no connection to. I mean, because of Arden's trouble with food and digestion, um, probably from type one, I started taking a digestive enzyme with my meals and it's really improved my life. So what the hell? Who cares why? I don't even... Exactly. No, I mean, I think that goes back to the sort of what I was saying before about, you know, listening to patients, but also uh, the humility of practicing medicine. So, you know, don't try not to come into, you know, when I meet a new patient, not trying to come in thinking I have this ego that I know more than them, but really listening. And like you said, when you encounter something that's making someone feel better, you know, make sure you don't harm someone. Don't tell someone to do something that's going to hurt them. Mm -hmm. Um, But listen to people and believe them when they're feeling better. And like you said, if we can't explain it, but it's 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 overall leading to better outcomes, and sometimes that's what's most important. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Doctor Benito came on, did a long episode about thyroid, and in the middle of it, we talked about iron on ferritin a little bit, and she said, her patients, a woman of a menstruating age, she thinks of a ferritin of seventy as absolutely minimum. And I wondered what you thought about that. Hmm. You know, that that's a little higher than I would. Again, well, let me co- taking a step back again. I think it's what do we mean by by low and not just treating the numbers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going back to this concept of iron deficiency and anemia, I think it it depends on what's going on and why the I'm seeing the person. So, if someone's been referred to me because someone checked the ferritin level and it came back at 25. But this person feels fantastic. They're not anemic. You know, they're running marathons. Then I say, just look, just watch it, right? I don't think there's been any clear evidence that simply pushing that number higher necessarily is going to, you know, make things better for them. Right. Where similarly, that same person could walk in with that ferritin. um, But if they're feeling crummy, then I might say, let's give this a shot and treat it. Mm -hmm. So I think the number itself, although certainly, you know, there are going to be normal values, um, it's going to depend a little bit also on how that person's feeling. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I don't think she meant, you know, if everything's happy, go lucky and you're 70, I need to give you more iron. But I, but I think she means for people who are, are complaining of these issues that she still thinks of 70 as, as lower. And, um, I mean, I, I don't know, this woman is an integrative endocrinologist. She's helped my family significantly. Um, she's managed thyroid levels when other people wouldn't have touched them. Um, she's just been like, she's just a little, she's not crunchy. Like there, it's all, <laughs> it's all very scientific, but, right, right, but, right. um, but she's just seems to be on the bleeding edge of what she's doing. Right. And, right. And, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. again, I, I think that I would, 
you probably have to twist my arm a little bit to, um, to get me to treat someone just for a ferritin. You know, if you came in and, and your labs look pristine otherwise and you're feeling crummy, but your ferritin was 60, um, I, I don't think I would be rushing to to give that person, you know, IV iron. So um, when you give it to them orally, though, is there really a chance of it helping? And and do you think this is going to be a two prong question, but yeah. it is is the state of our food the reason for this? Like, are we just not eating iron rich foods? That's yeah, a good question. You know, I don't the what we can absorb through food is somewhat limited. So if you get into an iron deficient state, so if you have some sort of bleeding event, right? Let's say you've never had iron deficiency before, but you get an ulcer in your stomach and it gushes out blood. Um, it's hard to get your numbers back to normal without some amount of supplementation through pills or IV. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just eating a lot of steak isn't going to always do it. Um, so. But on the other side, it's it, although not impossible, it's hard to become iron deficient just by you know being a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Again, it, it, oftentimes when I see people, probably like yourself, um, where we can't find the exact reason, it's probably a combination of things. So it's you know they've not been eating a lot of iron-rich foods. Um, maybe they've got a little bit of bleeding we can't find, or a hemorrhoid that's been bothering them for 30 years. Um, they might be on a medication that's blocking some amount of iron absorption. So it's maybe not one thing alone, but all of these things adding together. Yeah. To be honest, we probably eat too much red meat as a society, so I can't say that we're not eating quite enough iron. Although, I, you know, we have iron in a lot of other foods as well. I do my part on red meat, and it doesn't <laughs> seem to help me at all. Um, and so is it? does it make sense to you that about every eight months, I... I just deplete. Yeah. So you're probably having my guess if, you know, is you're probably having some amount of small amount of bleeding that's ongoing. Um, and so it's, it's slow and it's small. So it's not enough that they're going to catch it on any sort of colonoscopy or endoscopy or any camera looking anywhere. Um, but it's persistent enough that every eight months you kind of start running out a little bit. Hmm. And and sup do you think supplementing could stay ahead of it? Like, should I like double down on supplementing and do it? Like, you mean with like or, taking pills orally? Yes. Yeah. So it depends. It depends on the dose you're at. There's actually a point where um, the oral medication can kind of start backfiring if you take too much. Um, so we used to uh, recommend people take these like massive loads of of oral iron. You know, they would take pills three times a day. And what we found was that it was it was probably confusing the body and the body's sensors in the gut would see all this iron coming in and would start being like, oh God, we must be getting too much iron and would really shut things down and it would stop working. And so that's why we now recommend you take it every day or even every other day. So there's sort of a limit to what you're going to be able to accomplish through pills. Mm -hmm. Do you talk much about gut health? It's such a weird thing to talk about with doctors because I feel like it's unknown um, to a large extent, but um, absorption happens there, right? So yeah. um, are there things people can do to make their stomach a more hospitable place to absorb things? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I think certainly there are going to be some medications that get in the way of absorption. Um, there are some really good doctors actually at our hospital who do a lot on sort of um, GI, you know, the biodiversity of your GI system and GI health. Um I, I, I'll plead guilty that I probably don't do a good enough job like all doctors in talking about nutrition and what's going on in your gut, um, but but they exist out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fumfering for the word. I can't come up with it. Uh, when I take uh, a medication like, to keep stomach acid down, what is that? It's a something inhibitor. H2 blocker or a proton pump inhibitor? Proton pump inhibitor. They yeah, also yeah. slow down iron. Absorption. They do, yeah. So there's a little bit of controversy about exactly how much, but I think they certainly... Again, on that sort of, you've got a couple of things on the scale. Um, I, you know, that alone probably isn't enough to make you iron deficient, but it's certainly in combination with other things will. Yeah, but when you're me and they're like, hey, take iron and take this for stomach acid, I was like, wait a minute. how? I know. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they going <laughs> to fight, yeah, yeah. Yeah. fight with each other? And yeah. uh, But anyway, okay. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how to get people help. So they have, first of all, what do you see as the classic signs signs of low iron, low ferritin? Yeah. So I think there's the the ones that are the most um, generic and then can be anything. So that's the 
fatigue, tired, low energy, um, just feeling kind of off and not not quite like yourself. But that that can be a hundred million different things. The one that's the most classic that um, we have a fun medical term for is called pica, uh, which technically meets eating things that are sort of not food. So the, the classic example in the old textbooks would be like eating dirt or clay. Mm-hmm. But the way it typically manifests is uh, ice craving. Um, so uh, my wife who had low iron, this was like her most classic symptom. She would just chew endless amounts of ice. It drove me insane. Uh, and then she finally got an iron infusion once. And it was like, you know, within a few weeks, she just like suddenly one day was drinking a glass of ice water and went, oh my God, I don't want to eat this ice anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's almost, uh, we have a fun word for that pathognomonic, which is, you know, if, if you're sitting there chowing down on ice and you can't stop, uh, it's, you know, almost certain that you're going to go find your, your irons low. Uh-huh. Um, the problem is a lot of these other symptoms are really nonspecific. And so it takes, you know, your doctor as part of their battery of tests including that iron level to check. Hmm. So I, uh, before I realized I had a problem with my iron, I actually bought my own ice maker. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was, I had to chew the ice. I I was hydrating myself through ice, I believe. And and, um, my hydration has gotten worse since my iron's gotten better. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. Literally, my wife said the exact same thing. She's like, I don't drink water anymore. (laughs) And and then when my iron came up, not only did I not want to chew ice, but chewing ice, like, turned me off. Like, it almost almost sickened me a little bit. I was like, oh, I don't want, like, this is not a thing I would do if I wasn't getting that drive. Do you understand the, um, like, what's the functionality behind that? Un- very unclear. Um, you know, one of these things going, it, it's funny, right? When, when we feel like something's unclear, we're okay with it if it's coming from the doctor's side. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so pretty unclear why um, you get this craving, whether, you know, I, I think there's probably, if I remember back to what I was taught that the thought about like these like clay or dirt cravings was like, you literally were trying to search out the iron there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly that makes no sense with ice. So um, who knows? Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I can tell you it's as real as could be though. I mean, oh, yeah. it was for me. All right. So if people are having these symptoms, right, they're they're they can't get rested no matter how much they sleep. They're weak. They're dizzy, uh, brain fog, uh, chewing ice. I mean, if you please, if you're out there chewing dirt in your backyard, please go see it. Please go see a <laughs> yeah, doctor. There's a lot of maybe a few other things we need to work out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go see a doctor. Um, yeah. And uh, but and so anyway, I go to the doctor and they run. The first thing I've learned that you have to be careful is you have to ask for a full iron panel. Is that right? Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah. So there's there's lots of different values. There's sort of five in particular we look at, and I would say the ferritin is by far the most important. So if they're going to take check one thing, it would be the ferritin. Uh, but all of them together can be helpful to sort of really make sure we have a full picture. What is iron binding capacity? Yeah. So that is a way for us to measure sort of how hungry your body is for iron. Uh, so typically, when your when your iron is low, your iron binding capacity is going to be high. So it means you know your your capacity to have more iron, your desire for more iron is high. You want more. Okay. Yeah, because I because that always confused me. They're like your iron binding capacity is high, and I'm like, well, the high seems good. Don't we? Want right, iron? right, 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 right. <laughs> where, where, see, where these things can be helpful is sort of your ferritin. Um, other things can impact it, and the most common thing is sort of inflammation. Um, so some people's ferritin might be what we call falsely elevated. So it looks it looks normal or it's even a little high, um, but really they are iron deficient. And and so these other numbers can help us sort of tease that out. I think that's a, another thing, especially for people with autoimmune, that's important for, for, your, sure. do- for your doctor to understand. Because if you're sitting there at a ferritin of 25 and it may be higher than it actually is, you probably are in trouble as far as needing more. And um, I'll tell you, mine's been as low as seven. Like that's when I was falling over at seven. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the last one I think was 13 and I was, I was on my way to not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny how it's almost like, it's almost like driving a, a car and running out of gas, meaning your tank can be completely low but as long as the hose leading to the motor still full you're you're running like everything's great and then <laughs> yeah. when and then when it's gone it's gone and that's that's how i feel like i i imagine if i looked back and i very carefully looked i might see it coming on but it doesn't but it comes on so creepingly slow that it's just like i'm fine you know i feel a little tired and the, you know what for me it is i'm like why are my nails breaking and mm. then boom i'm shutting off 
Once, yeah. once yeah. I see the nails breaking, I'm calling the doctor. I'm like, oh hell. Uh, do you have Do you have like scheduled lab work that you do, or is it you just wait until you're feeling this way? Yeah. So we just started talking about that um, because it looked like it was gonna. You know, at one point he was very hopeful that you know supplementing was gonna be okay, but at this point now I'm just gonna get it drawn every six months. Yeah. And see where I am. And the problem ends up being is insurance. So you you know, you want to be again, people say this about the American healthcare system all the time, right? Like like you want to be preemptive, but the insurance is like, no, get the lab value lower and then we can do it. And right, like, right, right. So after I feel like I'm gonna fall on my head, then we <laughs> right, should, right. then we'll get right to it. Thanks a lot. Uh but yeah. we are gonna tr- we are trying to push them in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, that's good. That That's what I try to do. I try to keep, you know, especially people early on where I'm not sure, was this sort of like a one-off bleeding event or something happened that decreased your absorption and then we're going to be fine after we tank you up. You know, let, let's check blood work every three to six months and then we can see, oh, you're starting to drift. You know, let's get ahead of this because I know how bad you felt when we let you get all the way down. Yeah. Oh, it is my goal not to feel that way ever again. Like I'm right, going right. to try to find a, good a way goal. to stay ahead of it um, <laughs> because I also don't know what else it's impacting. And, and yeah, that's sure. the other stuff. And, you know, you brought up, I brought up earlier, like I said, like, I don't want to have a heart attack. Um, but I am adopted, but I know very little about my birth mother. But here's something I know about her. Um, became depressed after she was kind of forced to give me away by her family. Um, w- was morbidly obese after a number of maybe 15, 20 years and died of a heart attack trying to have bariatric surgery. Oh God! So terrible outcome, obviously. Um, yeah. But I just like I'm not. I I am trying to avoid that, you know. And by the way, I'm not. I guess by the charts, my BMI is high enough that my insurance company was like, "We go v? sure, <laughs> <laughs> no problem." Uh, but but visually, I don't think you'd see me that way. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I don't know if I'm carrying it some of it under my muscle. Like I don't know what it is, but. Um, I just, I'm not doing that. Like, I, I don't know. I've worked too hard to get this far. Like, I'd like to get to the end where I get to poop on like nurses in a home. And, <laughs> and they have, that's your goal. And that's they, have dream. To, they have to smile and be like, it's okay, oh. Mr. Banner. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. So that they have a story to tell when they're 30. They're like, oh my God, right. I, I yeah. had a job that's, when I was 18. Holy hell, let me tell you about it. That's <laughs> so, so kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to build resistance in the younger people, uh, Ari. That's what I'm working uh, towards. Uh, uh, but, but seriously, like, I'm just trying to. You know, I, I've had a real, um, like, kind of renaissance in my thinking about age because my mom got cancer, and she's doing well, but she got it at 79 years old, and some will argue that 79 is pretty old to begin with, uh, but I've seen it. I saw how it kind of added 10 years to her. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I just started thinking, like, you know, when we at our age think about living forever. I'm like, I'll probably live till I'm 85, 90 years old. But you imagine yourself as 85 now, like how you are now, but 80, that is not how it goes. And so um, what I told my wife is after I watched my mom with her cancer, uh, I said, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to live like these next 15 years or the last 15 years I'm getting. And I don't imagine I'm dying at 65. I hope I don't. Uh, But I don't know where I'm going to start declining after that. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to just, I'm not just going to keep living now like these other years are promised to me, but in the shape I'm in now, which by the way, I think we've just discussed for the last hour. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not optimal. Right. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I'm just trying to, I raise my, yeah, no, I, I think I mean? the, the privilege of, of being a doctor is that even at a young age, you get exposed to a lot of morbidity and mortality. You see a lot of people who are sick and a lot of people die. And a lot of people who who get to be you know old and live well, and it and it it forces you to to think about a lot of this and try to um, prepare yourself in different ways for that sort of you know outcome. Because I think some of it, like you're saying, is is how can I live the best I can now to be as healthy as I can at that point in my life. But the other is that you know it's an inevitability, and you know not not to be too depressing, but it's how do I psychologically come to terms with the fact that no matter what I do and how well I live. Um, even if I get to 95 or 105, there's going to be a moment where my body will give up on me. Yeah. And and what do you do with that knowledge? Oh, I'm some days I'm stunned I'm this old. I mean, honestly, <laughs> seriously, uh, you know, uh, and yet it's funny. 
as ridiculous as this sounds, aside of the things that I've shared here today, my vitality is like terrific. And like my, like when my iron's fine, my clarity's crazy. I am one of those people. I wake up. I am me from the second I open my eyes till the second I go to sleep. Like, I don't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, and you know, and I think that's the other thing that's important when you're going to the doctor and you're kind of trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to get worked up for these symptoms and treated, you know, the other thing we sometimes do, that's not great is, you know, when I meet someone, this is the only time I'm ever going to see them that, or the, that's that first time is that first moment in their life I'm meeting them. And so, you know, I sort of trying to make it clear what your sort of normal baseline is like you're coming in and you're saying you're sick, but I, I don't know what a good day is um, and sort of highlighting like, no, look, I, I can I can be running constantly when I'm feeling well, like this is abnormal for me mm-hmm. and trying to make that clear can I think help um, sort of get some urgency or make people think like, well, we got to figure out what's going on. I don't want to just sort of blame this on, you know. Uh, you're just getting older or, you know, yep, some days, you know, you feel kind of down because yeah. uh, I think it's it's easy for to do that and harder to maybe think a little more and try to figure out what could be happening. Well, I'm very glad you brought this up because it was going to be my next question. So how do people come to their first of all, you, you're going to end up at your GP first with these complaints. Yeah. Right. And then you're going to see you're going to see the iron or the ferritin, or the iron binding capacity, and you're going to know a little bit because you listen to this, and you're going to be like, oh, that's not right. Your GP is going to be like, that's fine, because <laughs> he, he don't know, or she don't know, doesn't matter. And um, so I tell people all the time, I'm like, stop banging your head against the wall with your general practitioner and find a hematologist. Now, it's hard to get in with a hematologist. Um, yeah. You know, it, and so don't delay, but then once I finally get in that office, what do I tell them so that we actually start moving forward from there and I don't get ignored. Like what would, what would really pique your interest? Yeah. So I think that, uh, what would, what would make me convinced that we, we should try something is if I can be, if I can hear that you went from feeling good to not feeling good. Um, so there was a change in your symptoms. Um, and that the only thing we now can ascribe this to is this lab finding that your iron is low or you're anemic. Um, you know, I think what, what makes people sometimes maybe hesitant is, you know, you know, oh, I've kind of felt this way for 40 years. Now, certainly it could be because your iron's been low for 40 years and nothing's mm-hmm. happened to it. Um, but usually what's going to push someone over the edge is that this is new, you know, and different than what I felt like before. How can I now kind of try to feel better? Yeah. I also think that there's more um, light bulb moments for people because of the way information's getting shared now. Like, you know, because, oh, totally. of, yeah, because of something like this, like somebody's going to listen to this and be like, oh, holy hell, I felt like Scott my whole life. I didn't know. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that is going to happen. And um, you, you have to just be able to come in to the doctor. Uh, you know, my finding is you come in, you lay yourself out, you know, what, what happened. I like to write it down yeah, um, because you can get in there and start telling stories and that's not helpful. And the doctor's looking at you like, you got eight minutes to get to this because I'm out of here, you, you know, and like you, you need to be able to come in and say things like, you know, I'm noticing this and this and this and this and this and then let them ask you a question. Um, because yeah. if you lay it out well, then you've laid out, hey, I think I'm anemic or I think my ferritin's low and it's really it's impacting me. Then let them ask a couple of questions, answer them. And and then for my money. I think you say it out loud. You say, I have been supplementing orally and it's not working. I really would like you to consider an iron infusion for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's key also. Sort of if you've done the work of I've been on an iron pill for, you know, two, three, four or five months and look, my numbers haven't changed. Um, this isn't working. You know, I will say there are some general practitioners who can schedule iron infusions. So we do see that sometimes. Um, and, uh, Unfortunately, probably, although I know you were just supportive of getting us over to specialists and as a hematologist, I should support that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, some more, you know, well-versed primary care doctors probably feel comfortable doing this themselves saying, you know, let's try the oral iron for a little bit. Let's refer you to the gastroenterologist to make sure you're not bleeding. And then, you know, this isn't working. Let's try IV iron. I can find the clinic and get get the order in for you. Oh, listen, I, first of all, I would take that, I would take that order from any doctor who was willing to give it to me. If my dentist would write it for me, I would have been like, that's cool. Let's go. You, you know, um, I am, I am interested by the progression though, 
because I come in and I, and I tell you, hey, my iron, blah, 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 blah. Especially for me. This has been happening my whole life. Like, you think I've got the kind of cancer that doesn't kill you in 25 years? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, I, just give me a... Like, I look back on that initial situation. They could have turned me around in two weeks with an iron infusion. And then gone and looked up my ass if they wanted to. But, like, why leave me on death's door to do it? That I never yeah, so that, that, that again, I never not knowing the specific, not 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 wanting to, you know, totally speak, speak ill of my colleagues. But I think you're right. There's no reason those things can't happen simultaneously. So right. if I see someone for low iron, you know, anemia, and they haven't seen a gastroenterologist yet, we'll do that. But it doesn't mean I won't give them IV iron in the meantime. Well, I got a little. I I I stopped seeing the the one gastro doctor because I was like, just give me an infusion. Like I figured this out already. I tried to explain to him. I'm a very po- very popular podcaster, and I've already picked. I've already picked through this, and I know what's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but huh. I, there was part of me that thought, like, oh man, I can't bill you for an iron infusion the way I can bill you for a a scope. So like, I did get that feeling a little bit. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, luckily for the most part, um, we're sort of, a lot of doctors are shielded from those sort of financial outcomes. So like for me, for instance, like I don't get paid more if I give you IV iron or iron pills or refer you to 10 doctors or one doctor, like I get a salary and you know, that that's, so whatever I do in my clinic doesn't matter. And more people are moving towards that. Um, which is probably for the best on some level to oh, avoid these sort of conflicts of interest. I hope so. I hope so. Because in my mind, there's a boardroom full of guys smoking cigars going, Ari's an earner. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm not going to be naive. There is a lot of uh, financial overlap in the practice of medicine that leads to some um, just some bad, bad choices from different parties. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, money, money plays a big role in medicine. Let's yeah. not pretend that isn't the case. No, of course. And I just think from a personal level, and be, by the way, because of the audio problems we had, you're over time. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I, I have a patient at 11. Okay. Let me just make sure they didn't decide to come early. Well, they did, but they're okay. They haven't got. <laughs> All right. We'll just let them sit out there a little longer then. Um, because I just wanted to ask you like, one last question. Well, first I'll say what I was going to say, then I'll ask you the question. So what I was going to say is that, you know, all these technical things and insurance and everything aside, like I felt terrible. I lost a significant time and quality of my life feeling like this. So anytime as a doctor, you're letting somebody feel like that longer than they should, it kind of sucks, you know? Um, But so my last question is, what did I not ask you that I should have asked you about that people should be hearing about this? You know, I think that you sort of, I think, hit it right there, which is I think the 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 job of a doctor is to help you live longer and live better. Um, and so I think that what you have to try to hope is that you and your physician or your, you know, PA or NP or nurse, whoever you're seeing are on the same team to accomplish that um, and aren't working against each other. Um, I think when you have a good relationship with your practitioner, that's what it feels like. Um, and so it shouldn't be that, you know, you're fighting against each other to kind of get to these outcomes. Like you said, like losing that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on some level, part of it is I think we practice a bit of defensive medicine or, um, you know, we're thinking like we don't want to cause harm. So let's avoid all these things, which which is important. Uh, but we can end up causing harm by not providing people the things they need. Yeah. And- um, not not to leave you just to, to I guess you know, I will say to just sort of air the other side of why do we maybe sometimes want to avoid IV iron and probably some of my uh, colleagues who are a bit older than me and have been doing this for longer. But um, I I have seen someone have uh, a bad outcome, like get IV iron and and actually have such a bad reaction that uh, they needed CPR. Um, So you can, you can cut that if you want. So if you don't want to scare your listeners. No, no, I understand why. Yeah. That's why they give you the Benadryl, right? Because if you have a reaction to it, it's going to be a bad reaction. I got to be honest with you though. I was going to need CPR in a couple more weeks anyway. So it was, was but I will say when I, when I, when I saw that happen, it definitely scared me for a little bit. And I am sure that after, um, after experiencing that, you know, I then was probably too hesitant and giving more people iron. Mm-hmm. And I think I've now come back to a better place realizing, hey, look, that was a um, a really rare situation. And it doesn't mean that I should be letting other people suffer because of it. Yeah. Listen, I would have shoved a rusty nail under my skin if you would have told me it would have helped. Like, that's how bad <laughs> off I was. I was just like, I I was lost, you, you know, and and 
I, I want to be clear, not just fading. Like I, I admitted myself to an emergency room. Yeah. Like, like I was done. I was like, this is it. Here we go. Like, give me iron or I'm, like, it felt like my heart was going to stop Like when it got low enough. It was just really, yeah. I don't know how to put that feeling, but I was, I'm, I'm not a panicky person. I wrote it forever. I did all the things I was supposed to do. You know, I, I took all the steps and I was just like my body shutting off. Yeah. Um, so and, I would, what I'd also say though, I guess is to add, and I think we did cover this before, but you know, having not everyone's going to have that dramatic response like you did. Right. And so I think so, but I think just being ready for anything, right? Like saying like, I'm going to try this. I'm hoping it solves my problems. And if it doesn't, the answer doesn't necessarily mean, you know, give me another, another dose. Um, it means let's look for what else could be causing that. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you were to get an iron infusion and nothing changed in, I'm saying six weeks, what what do you think the longest is to see? Yeah, yeah. I would. It, it depends the type of iron. So I don't know if you've gotten sort of these, you know, what's called infed, this sort of big, large dose at once, or the sort of other common one we use is venifer, which is smaller doses, and you got to come like once a week for four or five weeks. I don't. I don't play that venifer bullshit. All right. <laughs> All right. I do. Um. I do injectifer twice. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, it, so if you get, you know, a pretty hefty dose where you're only needing it once or twice, then when by six weeks, you should be feeling, feeling the effects of it. Yeah. I was once on the phone with uh, an insurance company and they were like, we're going to give you a Venifer because it's cheaper. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> so like, well, right now we're actually having a problem. We're, we're having a shortage of some of the, what we, Infed is what we use, which is the big dose. And okay. so we're, we're stuck with Venifer for a lot of people. Well, I have it here in the house. It's my, I have a closet full of it. That's why, <laughs> that's why you can't find any of it. Uh, but yeah, just, I didn't like, they, I think it was like six weeks. I'm like, you want me to get an infusion six weeks in a row? And I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I, no, I, I pushed uh, my yeah. way out of it. Uh, but anyway, this was terrific. I, I, can't tell you how excited I was to talk to you. And, uh, I've never, you know what? It's not a topic that people always are super excited about talking about. So it's great to find someone who is. <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm going to have you back someday. <laughs> this is absolutely amazing. Um, I, I, again, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Thank of course. You. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And um, thanks for everything you do. It's been it's been a huge resource for me for my, this new diagnosis. So oh. um, I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. If you want to say something nice about me, you can do that at the end. <laughs> Oh, there you go. I think I think you got it. I'm just kidding. You've helped. You've, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> hold on one second for me, okay? Sure. Hey, how about a huge thanks to Ari for coming on the show and sharing so much great information with us about anemia and ferritin. And thanks also to touchedbytype1.org. Head over there and check them out. Touchedbytype1.org. 10% off your first month of therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash juicebox. 35% off your entire order at cozyearth.com with the offer code juicebox at checkout. And a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs comes with your first order of AG1 from Athletic Greens at my link, athleticgreens.com forward slash juicebox. Go check out the private Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.